Hello and welcome to Jesuitical, a new podcast from the conspicuously young, questionably hip... But not hipster. <laughs> ...and tragically lay editors of American Media. Speak for yourself, Zach. That lay part <laughs> means we aren't Jesuits, but we work with them. Join us each week for a smart Catholic take on faith, culture, and the news. This week, over coffee. <laughs> mm, drinking one of those afternoon coffees. <laughs> or my third afternoon coffee, actually. Yeah. Oh. I know. <laughs> it's one of those weeks. It's yeah. one of those weeks, yeah. <laughs> All right. I am Ashley McKinless, and I am joined by Zach Davis. Hello. And Olga Segura. Hi, guys. Later in the show, we're going to be speaking with our national correspondent, Michael O'Loughlin. In studio. In studio. Yeah, welcome. Yeah. Yeah, he's based in Chicago, but once a once a month he comes and visits us in New York. So we'll be talking about Pope Francis's fourth anniversary as Pope. Mm-hmm. Um, but first, we're going to do some signs of the times, the part of our show where we sift through the Catholic news of the week. So you don't have to. What's our first story, Zach? So our first story comes from The Border, where a story published in The New Yorker this week, a photo essay really, on Tom Kiefer, who was a Customs and Border Patrol janitor. And so one of his responsibilities was taking the items that were confiscated uh, from people who were crossing the border and to just throw them in the trash. And for a while, he noticed that all of these things were being taken from them and then just like thrown away and never to be seen ever again. Um, And so what makes this of particular interest to us uh, is that there's this really haunting image of just like all these rosaries that were taken and confiscated, which is funny because like the confiscation policy is basically covers everything that's non-essential or potentially lethal. And so it's just sort of the see these like religious, I like religious items discarded and thrown away. And from these people who have put so much hope in coming to America. Right. People who, totally would consider these things essential as they're taking these unbelievably dangerous journeys into the United States. So Tom Kiefer, after a while, he had taken all of these things and he stopped throwing them away and started collecting them uh, little after little and sorting them in his garage and eventually photographed all of them and has made an art exhibit. It's ve- it's it, it's really haunting to see and like really symbolic of so much yeah. that goes on there. And that's what, I mean, like, he said he was criticized for you know, not for you know taking photographs and having this art exhibit that's not that doesn't directly speak to the migrant experience or the grimy extremities that come with risking your life to go such a long distance. But I think this is it. This does exactly what you know art should do. You know, like taking this very serious thing and creating a powerful symbol that has us thinking about it in a way that we wouldn't have otherwise. So. Yeah, and other inappropriate things to do to rosaries besides throw them in the tr- <laughs> in the trash. Um, a- Where are you going with this one? <laughs> <laughs> a group of um, what's this being described as Catholic leaders, clergy, and important DC insiders uh, recently met at the Trump International Hotel in Washington DC. And they opened their gathering with a patriotic rosary for the consecration of our nation, um, which included readings from George Washington and John Adams. Um, John Adams, of which hated the Catholic Church, but especially the Jesuits. In fact, I'm sure he accused people of being Jesuitical quite often. But <laughs> Didn't mean we, it as a compliment. No, no. We, we are reclaiming that from John Adams. We're wrestling it from his cold, dead hands. Good job. I know you hate when you see an American flag (laughs) 
In a Catholic church. I do, yeah. If I ran a church, I would probably grab a flag and march it right, <laughs> or, out of, or off, right off of the altar. Or when people sing God Wait. bless America on 4th of July at, Why is at this? Mass. I just don't think God's American. I think God yeah. loves America, but I don't think it belongs on the altar. Okay. Where, you know, we're committing to being a community of self-sacrificial love, as Patty said last week. Yeah. No, like the separation of church and state is good for the state and the church. And good for the church. <laughs> so bringing mm-hmm. them together in this way um, is, I, I think, problematic for Catholics. Um, I, you know, I, I don't have a problem with Catholic philanthropists getting together and talking about religious liberty and the ways that... Or even politics. Yeah. No, that that's fine. Um, but... But leave the rosary out of it. <laughs> or just pray the rosary without at, without invoking John Adams. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> What's next, Olga? So author and blogger Esther Emery logged off the internet for a year, stating that she believed it was reducing sort of her capacity to be her best self and to sort of fully do her best work. Um, and after a year, she said that it really helped her with her faith. It helped her with her marriage. Um, and she thinks she states that she found her deepest relationship with God, you know, so I think I find this interesting for several reasons, because on one hand, I'm a millennial who is never present. And I think it would help my faith to disconnect a little bit. But on the other hand, we work at America. I think that would be impossible. So what do you guys think? Do you think she was getting the newspaper or did she come back and be like, oh, my God, Donald Trump is president of the United <laughs> States. <laughs> like, also, everyone died last year. <laughs> no, I I thought I was going to not care about this story at all because it's been told a million times. Like Cheryl Strayed, Wild, uh, Andrew Sullivan had a big missive about going off technology. Um, so I was thinking about it. And then I realized as I was going to bed last night that I couldn't fall asleep without a podcast playing. And I was like, crap. So what? <laughs> what a- <laughs> I need to. Maybe I need maybe I need a little bit of a retreat from technology too. Yeah, and it doesn't hurt to be reminded every month by some different <laughs> blogger. <laughs> so it's different from that than wanting to read before you go to bed. Don't enable me. <laughs> well, I think it's I think it's probably true. I think we should just be like specific about what is problematic yeah. about it. And no, not because just think- I, I intentionally put on boring things that will put me to sleep just because the silence is too scary. Okay. Oh, that's okay. the problem. <laughs> yeah. No, and that's one thing she mentioned. She said that she was sort of initially afraid to be in the silence that Ashley just mentioned, but that she realized after a year that being in silence and being with God were sort of synonymous for her, you know? It could explain why I have such a problem coming up with consolations and desolations at the end of the show is that I rarely have silence to think about such things. <laughs> no, yeah, I think it's uh, on the one hand true that God does speak to us in the silence of our hearts. Yeah. Which we've all heard. On the other hand, I saw a movie Silence. It didn't end well. <laughs> so, but God can also speak to us in the noise. So God's also coming at us in, in the podcast. podcast. In this podcast. <laughs> right. Don't give up. If you listen to this before you're going to bed, that's Don't good. stop. Or Don't it's basically it. like doing an exam. Yeah, pretty <laughs> much. Basically. <laughs> we are not a substitute for prayer. I feel like I have to disclaim that. Our producer is glaring at us. <laughs> um, so, Ashley, what's next? Uh, yes. Yeah, so we have all grown accustomed to the papal fiat. When Pope Francis goes to a different country, he drives around in his cute little white car and everyone waves at him. Um, but he has gotten a new car. And it is eco-friendly. A, More than a Fiat? 
Yeah. He was given a Nissan Leaf by Wormuth Asset Management, a German investment group. Um, so the Vatican is trying to become one of the first states to be um, run by completely renewable energy. So that's part of the this is part of the effort to do that. So uh, nice. Yeah. yeah so fitting. no more papal fiats. Yeah. So Which? now it's the papal leaf, leaf. That papal we're calling leaf, laudato leaf. <laughs> He's named I, it laudato leaf. Has he really? No, I don't know. Oh. He should though. <laughs> Pope Francis, if you're listening, please follow Zach's advice. If, I don't know if, what the Latin word for leaf is, <laughs> but it would need to be that. And then I think you might lose the alliteration. What would you name Pope Francis's new eco car? Let us know, and we'll read the best if there if you have good ones. I'm. I'm challenging you. I don't know if there is one. But if you come (laughs) up with a good one, we'll read it on air next week. Yep. And now we are joined by Michael O'Loughlin, the national correspondent for American Media and author of The Tweetable Pope, A Spiritual Revolution in 140 Characters. Thanks for joining us, Mike. Thanks for having me. It's fun being in the office with you and now in your studio. Yeah, we're happy to have you here. Yeah, it's always exciting when it's like a mic in the office week, so. It's true. Yeah. It's true. Thanks. Everyone kind of gets ready and greets me at the door yeah. as I walk in. It's a lot of fun. Mike is impressed by basic courtesy. <laughs> Well, when you work at home alone all week. Oh, yeah, that's right. Is it, do you, but you like working from home. My least productive week of the month is when I'm here in New York with y'all. <laughs> I mean, you got to so. catch up with all of us, so. It's true. It's good to be here, though. Um, so you've been covering Pope Francis for his four years in the papacy, which we just marked on March 12th? 13th. 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 March 13th. So four years. There have been a lot of memorable moments for Pope Francis. Um, but for you personally covering it, what what, what sticks out? Uh, I think for me, one of the best stories I had was getting to be uh, on the U.S.-Mexico border uh, in February 2016. Uh, the Pope was uh, in Juarez, Mexico, which, of course, uh, is a place that's experienced a lot of violence in recent years. And he decided that as part of that trip, he would travel right up to the border on the Mexican side. And across the river, across the Rio Grande, were about 60 or so uh, migrants from the U.S., who many of them undocumented, uh, some in federal uh, custody because of their uh, illegal status. And the Pope went right up to the river, uh, faced the United States side, and prayed silently with with those folks gathered across the river. And to me, it was so powerful because I'd spent the days leading up to that kind of interviewing some of these people and finding out how much the Pope's visit meant to them um, and hearing really firsthand about how difficult their lives had been uh, coming to the United States and that they had kind of an advocate uh, in Pope Francis, someone to speak up for them when they felt so voiceless. That was really powerful for me to be on the border with those people uh, and to see how they reacted to the Pope's prayers. Yeah, You were in Mexico covering Pope Francis's trip there, right? Yeah, I was there with Kevin Clark, who is our senior news correspondent. Um, and we were also in horrors. And one of the most, for me, one of the best Pope Francis moments for me was also sort of getting to go to Mexico and talk to these people who hadn't seen their parents in 14 years or hadn't seen a sister or an uncle, you know, because I think being in the United States, you hear a particular side of that story. And then kind of just seeing people in Juarez or in Chiapas or Mexico City kind of 
show us a non-American side, non-United States side of that was really, really powerful. Yeah, I remember interviewing, uh, it was a 15-year-old girl on the U.S. side. And I asked her, you know, what, what, what was she feeling being here? And a lot of people said how excited they were to see the Pope, of course. And she said she was actually sad because she was on the U.S. side and her family was on the Mexico side and they couldn't see each other, but they were both at the same event. Right. Uh, so it was kind of literally the Pope building bridges, which is kind of his thing, right? Yeah. Um, so it was, it was an interesting experience, for sure. Yeah. So were you in the press pool or the press corps for that? I was. I was um, one of the credentialed people on the U.S. side of the border. So what is so what is the Vatican? Like, there's sort of like, I don't know. I feel like there's this legend of the Vatican press corps. I am not like a, a member of the Vatican press corps. No, um, but like... But, have so, you ever been on the plane? I have not been on the plane. Uh, so those know. are the people who get to go on the plane. There yeah. are, yeah, there's members of the Vatican press corps who travel around with the Pope. Um, some folks are kind of legendary in their own right and get their own seats no matter where they are. <laughs> Sometimes it's... Uh, venues or news outlets get seats and they can assign them to reporters uh, that yeah that's an interesting experience obviously with this pope those uh plane seats have become highly coveted because of the press conferences right right uh, in the past you know you're on the plane so you got to go to the events uh, and it was good because you would get some good color for your stories but now uh often those plane rides are the story um so you really want to be on the plane if possible w- and was that totally unprecedented like had other popes Given press conferences yeah, on the plane? Yeah, so uh, Pope Benedict XVI did give a press conference. Um, a, a press conference? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Good observation on my use of the word A. Uh, it, it didn't go as well as they had hoped. Uh, he's not someone uh, who's as comfortable maybe with the press as yeah. his uh, successor. So I, I think the, the precedent was there for the Pope to speak to the press in that kind of forum. Uh, Francis obviously enjoys it. Um, so they've kind of kept it going. Yeah, we have American Media has a video documenting the top papal plane moments. Um, Are you saying popes on a plane? Popes on a plane. <laughs> Are you tired of these popes on this plane? These, I, I won't go there. <laughs> I'm not tired of popes on the plane. <laughs> You're looking at me confused. Yeah, I think it's a movie reference, though. <laughs> It you, uh, is like... Snakes on a plane? No? Yeah. I, oh, okay. okay. Oh, I've not seen it, though. Well, has anyone actually I, seen I that movie? I have not seen it. I just... I have. There's, there's also a snakes on the train. Which... No. There, <laughs> in, is this what you do? It, like, if, if you've gone from, like, having this on before you fall this asleep to how... podcasts, no, it's a is... significant step up. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Mike. Uh... <laughs> Sorry. Okay. So, writing a book about Pope Francis's tweets, what, why did you decide to take that avenue into his papacy. So I was uh, constantly seeing his tweets pop up in my newsfeed because people were retweeting him and kind of engaging with them. And I thought there's, there's something here because Pope Francis is connecting with uh, the Vatican estimates millions of people at a time if a tweet is particularly popular. So I started reading his tweets um, and actually went back to the first uh, two tweets he sent, which um, was March 19th, 2013. So just... Uh, what, four years ago this week. Um, and I'll, I'll read the two tweets. Um, the first one, he said, let us keep a place for Christ in our lives. Let us care for one another and let us be loving custodians of creation. And then the second one, uh, later that day, true power is service. The Pope must serve all people, especially the poor, the weak, and the vulnerable. I say he kind of like laid it all out right there in his first week on Twitter. Um, so then I investigated a little bit and found out that uh, he actually approves all these tweets. 
um, personally. Like personally. he sees the tweets. He does. Wow. Yeah. They. Um, he has a team of advisors who kind of go through his homilies and writings from the week and pull out parts that are suitable for Twitter. Uh, and then the Pope gives some ideas to that group of people to get his message across, and they write them out on paper in uh, Spanish or Italian. And he reads through them and checks off what he wants, and that's how they get out there. Wow. So, you know, m- most people can't kind of talk to the Pope directly, but if they want to know what he's thinking, I say follow him on Twitter because he knows what's going out there. I think this represents like a new era of papal communication, but do you think that some of the like controversy or spin room hot takes that come out are just simply because like in 2017, we get insight into like the daily homily of Pope Francis, right? Like we never got Pope Leo XIII's daily musings from Twitter or his daily homilies. Do you think that part of what makes Francis such an interesting figure is that we've got more access to the Pope. Yeah, I think there's a lot of, there's a tradition in Catholicism where the Pope should be kind of private and hidden. Uh, There's a Pope from the 1930s who would not eat in front of anyone because it was seen as being kind of beneath the office of the Pope (laughs) to see a Pope eating. Um, Sounds like the young Pope. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh, So the fact that we have such insight and such access to a Pope now, I think kind of uh, makes a little makes some people uneasy for some reason. But Francis is a pastor, so you kind of, a lot of people have relationships with their pastors, and I think he's just offering that as much as he can to the world. So we've talked about Pope Francis's tweets and his papal plane press conferences. And as, you know, a lot of people follow him on Twitter, but his tweets don't generate the kind of hot stories like his interviews do, his press conferences do. Um and, you know, contrasting that with our current president, whose tweets are the story. So, like, what, how, what's the difference between, yeah, what's the difference between the tweetable Pope and the tweetable Trump? How do they approach this medium? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's, it's a great question. It's a great study in contrast, right? I think Pope Francis is kind of inspiring us with some tweets, maybe challenging us once in a while. Um, and they're usually kind of messages that lift us up or at least call us to be our uh, better selves. Then there's the president um, who uses it in a different way, kind of to attack opponents, um, kind of bolster his own image. He uses it um, as I think a lot of celebrities do, which makes sense, right? He's a celebrity president. You know, so Donald Trump's tweeting is nothing new. He's been tweeting for a long time now. And when Pope Francis was elected, um, Donald Trump weighed in and kind of said he was so happy to hear that this Pope was elected because he heard he was a humble guy just like Donald Trump is <laughs> and that's why he likes him so much right. um, and then uh, you know their relationship kind of soured after that right yeah. um, basically uh, the Pope has talked for quite a while about how we should be building bridges to um, you know between countries between neighbors and friends and he was asked on a plane ride on his way back to Rome from Mexico um, about Trump's plan to build a wall along the border. And the Pope said, you know, he didn't, he wasn't familiar with the situation, but if that's what this person believes, referring to Donald Trump, uh, building walls instead of bridges, and that person is not Christian. Uh, And this generated a lot of headlines, of course, uh, anything what Donald Trump does. And uh, Trump kind of shot back and said it was disgraceful that the Pope would judge his, uh, would judge his heart and judge his intentions. Uh, and this caused the Vatican to say, well, we weren't talking about Trump specifically, just generally right. politicians who want to build walls and not bridges. Which, uh, which Donald Trump wants to do. <laughs> and, he, and 
like of the weekend before the election, he repeated yeah. that message, coincidentally or not. I'd yeah. go with not. Not. <laughs> uh, he knows what he's doing when he kind of needles some of these um, more extreme proposals from the president. So, are you saying that Pope Francis is a really good subtweeter? I think that's a wait, fair. Inter- wait, what's subtweeting? Okay, so wait, you don't know wait, what wait, subtweeting wait, wait. is, Ashley. I'm embarrassed you have more followers than me. <laughs> God. Okay, you take this one. Well, okay. A subtweet is when you are calling out a person on Twitter, but not directly calling them out. So, like, if Zach says something that bothers me during office hours, I will go <laughs> on Twitter after hours and be like, oh, it's really unfortunate how my coworker just really drove me crazy today. Yeah. Right? That's Is, is that mm-hmm. a fair enough... Sure. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so like if you're tweeting about someone, usually you use their handle, right? Yeah. So I would tag like at Pontifex, read what Pope Francis wrote. But if I wanted to be kind of annoying, I just wouldn't use their handle. Yeah. So subtweeting. Like, yeah, just yeah. mercy is lame ex- and not at Pontifex, mercy is lame. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Pope Francis is subtweeting, sub, subtweeting? Subtweeting, yeah. Subtweeting Donald Trump? Some people have said that. <laughs> <laughs> Some people have, that's a Some people have, response have subtweeted that Pope Francis. Yeah. <laughs> but also don't ever read Pope Francis's mentions. No, yeah, that's Mm-mm. the thing. Um, that is a cesspool. <laughs> really? Yeah, they're kind of abusive. Oh. Uh, and they usually just ignore them. But interestingly, um, the Vatican pays attention to the mentions and replies. They uh. kind of use it to get a feel of what people in different parts of the world are thinking about the church. Hmm. Uh, they found out that people in the U.S. and the U.K. tweet a lot about they're um, continuing to be upset about the sex abuse scandal. Whereas in Italy and Spain, they tweet a lot about kind of the church's excess in terms of money and wealth and power. Uh, and they they kind of use these to see trends happening around the world. So, yeah, huh. someone's, someone's reading some of that stuff. So, hmm. so we've, we've heaped some love on Pope Francis in this show and today. Um, but covering him, do you see any missteps or mistakes or weaknesses? Um, I, I think one area where there's been some concern maybe is the Pope's uh, – the role of women in the church. Um, the Pope talks a lot about creating space for women to hold leadership positions in the church. Uh, and people like that. Um, that's a good thing, right? Um, but I think some have said that he still talks in a way that – is a little bit macho when it comes to women. Uh, he's described women as like strawberries on the cake. Uh, well, uh, was he? I said some people have said. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, he's also agreed to uh, open this commission on studying whether or not the church had uh, women deacons at one point yeah. in history and what that might mean for the church today. So mm-hmm. um, I-, I think the woman issue is maybe there's some room for criticism there. Um, and then also sex abuse. We've seen some criticism recently, right? Um, we had a member of the Sex Abuse Commission resign. Now, she said the Pope is kind of doing his job. He's sticking to his end of the agreement. Uh, but the Vatican hasn't quite caught up to the Pope's uh, views on sex abuse yet. Uh, when he came to the United States, it was interesting. He gave a talk to bishops, and he said that um, maybe the church had been treated unfairly with the sex abuse scandal, that uh, priests, uh, good priests, were still suffering from uh, the fallout from that. And while there may be some truth to that, uh, critics said it was a little tone deaf, that the, the emphasis should have been on making sure that the victims were cared for and not maybe the priests as secondary uh, damage. So 
I, I think women and sex abuse, uh, he, there's a little bit of a learning curve maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, people have said he's gotten better with both, but hmm. there you go. All right. Mike, where can people find you and your work? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Mike O'Loughlin. Uh, can you spell that? Because that's kind of hard. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Mike, M-I-K-E, O'Loughlin is O-L-O-U-G-H-L-I-N. And of course, AmericaMagazine.org. Oh, and I didn't even talk about when they go to your Twitter, they'll find the pin tweet of you meeting the Pope. They will, right. yeah. Um, you, I, you completely, <laughs> like, oh, Lord. That's not your this. top papal moment? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got to meet the Pope and give him a copy of the tweetable Pope. Oh, my gosh. Um, we chatted for... 10 or 15 minutes. You speak Spanish? I don't. We had, <laughs> <laughs> we had, we had an interpreter. Um, he told me that he was uh, shocked. He was smiling. He was joking. He said he was shocked I found anything of value in his tweets. Uh, <laughs> All right. <laughs> but he found oh, the idea Francis. interesting. Um, yeah, no, I, that was certainly one of the highlights of yeah, my time that's pretty cool. w- with the Pope. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, that's thank fine. you. Yeah, thank you. All right, so we've been talking a lot about Pope Francis in this episode, and earlier this week on Twitter, we asked people to tweet at us their top papal moments, and we would read them on air, so we are going to do that right now. CB said when the TV announced that the new Pope was an SJ, was a Jesuit, my son and I jumped and screamed like our home team won the Super Bowl. (laughs) I remember people skipping classes at Loyola and citing that reason. They said when the Jesuit becomes a Pope, you skip class all week. (laughs) That's fair. That sounds Jesuitical. Mm -hmm. Very. (laughs) Joyce Whip wrote in and sent in a picture of the papal blessing that she and her husband got for their 10th anniversary, except that the papal blessing, the plaque that comes with it, said 70th anniversary. (laughs) So she's not super sure if uh, he, you know he is going to hold on to that yeah, blessing no, until no, they've been married no for pressure. 70 years. You got to make it. <laughs> or if it count, still counts. <laughs> That's great. All right. And we also got some emails this week. Yeah. Our, our first letter came from Creed Caldwell, who was in a long-term relationship, and he wonders how Catholics might go about meeting people. Um, he said he's, quote, avoided the meat market dating apps even the Catholic ones, because the whole process seems dehumanizing, and he wants to know our take. Well, (laughs) I actually would want to do an entire episode on this topic. No, I think we should. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So look forward to that in the future. But I was actually, I brought this up to uh, someone in my men's group this week, and we were chatting about it, and like, you know, the dating apps that are Catholic are just sort of like, they don't make any effort to match people up at all. Yeah. Which is why they're bad. Yeah. <laughs> they don't, it, whereas in the other ones, it's kind of like, how do you signal that you're a committed Catholic mm-hmm. without seeming crazy? Yeah. And um, something that uh, this friend of mine shared was that, like, he has, like, Catholic in his bio or profile. Mm-hmm. And that is sort of like, seems like an in for other people to share that it is also important to them. Yeah. A, a lot of times they'll be like, hmm, you're what's this Catholic thing about? <laughs> to kind of ask, like, are you a normal person? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so that's allowed for him to kind of, like, sort of attract people with similar interests and similar uh, values. Yeah. So that's been helpful. What do you, what, what else advice do you, I mean, would you guys have? I, I've been on these meet 
market dating apps. <laughs> and I will say I, I have the same um, approach of being very upfront about the fact that I'm Catholic. And that's something that's important to me. So that, you know, it'll weed out certain people or, you know, attract others. So, mm-hmm. but no, I would not, I would not say I'm an expert in dating by any means. So Creed, you're going to have to <laughs> go somewhere else. You're going to have to we're, stay no, tuned we're gonna, to episode. Um, no, yeah, we're going to need to find a de- uh, an expert in Catholic dating to come on the show. So if you are one of those people, let us know and we'll, we'll get you on here. Yeah. If you think Creed <laughs> sounds like a very nice guy, write us. <laughs> Jesuit go to americamedia.org and we would love nothing more than, than to play matchmaker. No, yeah. Creed, we will screen people for you. <laughs> I guess I'll start with the consolations and desolations. I know you all are used to my giggly presence, but this week I only have a desolation. <laughs> What's going on? Um, well, okay. So anyone who works with me knows that writing is often like a painful process for me. Um, and I had to write an editorial this past week. Um, and it's always, you know, just like pulling teeth for me, but this week was especially difficult for some reason. So like we had Friday off and I set the day, you know, I set time to write the editorial, just like couldn't get into it. Saturday set three hours aside to do it, couldn't do it. And finally it was like after mass on Sunday night and I had to have it in by Monday. And so I just wrote it. I, you know, it was okay with it, but like, you know, usually there's this like feeling afterwards of like, okay, I'm proud of what I did. It was worth it. It's like going to confession. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah, this one was just like painful with no payoff. Mm. And then I got like some like not great feedback on it. So it's just like, I don't know. It was, I, I often think about like my relationship to writing and if it's, I don't know. It often feels more like life sucking than life giving, which is like not a great place to be in your job. Why do you think you were procrastinating? I think, I don't know, especially when you're writing an editorial, it's you're you're not just writing your own personal opinion. You're trying to channel the opinion of an entire group of people of American Magazine, um, and it was a topic that you know I didn't I didn't really know what our our editorial voice on it was um so it was trying to balance my own personal feelings on it with what i thought other people thought about it um which just makes it hard to like really you know get into it and was there like insecurity in trying to speak for other people or? yeah i would i would say there was um because we, we trust you <laughs> we do. that's good that's good yeah. uh so listen to the, listen to the trust. <laughs> Let that be your consolation. Yeah. <gasps> okay. All right. That's a good consolation. Thanks, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Zach, you're up. So my desolation this week is something that I think a lot of people have probably gone through, but just like being stressed about money in general has been on my mind and sort of like creeping up periodically, um, mainly because like we're getting to a point in life where you have to pay attention to those things and like bottom lines and savings and Mm -hmm. because you know it's be it like as the years tag on you comes a realization that like you eventually want to do different things right you want to be responsible for providing for other people you want to be responsible for um different life goals and like now there's this moment right now where i'm still really young and early in my career but like oh 
a, a, a place of fear that I'm not going to be able to do those things. And I know the gospel says, you know, there's that gospel that Jesus says where, you know, provide for the birds and uh, of the skies and the flowers of the plains, but it, why should you worry if God provides for those? Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, you know, that's nice, but I can't do that yet. And so I think it's like important to be, to be honest, right? Like, mm-hmm. and just trust that God, everything's going to be okay. Yeah. Right. I had, so I kind of have like the opposite problem where I think I am so, I, I am so frugal and, I worry about saving money so much that it can be like bad in the opposite direction where it's like, I, I'm too worried about my pot of gold and not, yeah. and don't have, I don't have to trust in God cause I can trust in money instead because I have, yeah. I, I have savings. Well, there, it's such a tricky relationship because yeah. you have like, I, am I like really just like you can slip into vanity, right? Mm-hmm. Am I concerned for the good things or am I concerned for vanity? Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's a hard line the walk but the problem is when i focus on the fear yeah. that comes into it and that right. is not consoling that is yeah desolating. i had i had friends in college who did this i was never a part of it but they they like opened up their budgets to each other so they were just like their answer to these fears um was transparency so they just like picked three friends where they all they showed each other their mm-hmm. savings yeah. their budgeting for the month and just like let that um conversation really inform their decisions about money which i thought was a really i don't know a good way to do it Mm -hmm. i I didn't do it but it seems like an option (laughs) yeah that one might want to (laughs) take so maybe people bring people along for the journey yeah yeah um so i came with consolation this week um as i think my hosts know but maybe not our audience i recently sort of started dating someone who is very in touch with his Christianity, you know? And I go through phases where I'm very insecure about not being a cur- the proper Christian or not knowing how to pray. I'm always like, I need to be this kind of Christian. I need to pray this way. I need to do all of these things or else it doesn't count, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but sort of knowing that even though I go through my moments where I'm very skeptical and sort of seeing this person who's very comfortable in his faith life, uh, just it's very consoling for me that I can talk to someone who you know, understands what it's like to be going through that, you know? And when I'm kind of like, I don't, like, I need evidence to believe in all of these things. He's kind of just like, you know, you just got to be patient, just kind of work at it. Um, and we've been having conversations about this in like the past few weeks. So it's, it's been very consoling for me to That's see, great. to know that even if I'm not seeing God in every aspect of my life, this person who I care for is. Um, mm-hmm. So, And God's going to meet you in those places where you are seeing him. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. That's, That's awesome. Thank you. Creed, talk to Olga. She's got it figured out. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Credits. Roll credits. All right. Jesuitical is brought to you by American Media and produced by Wyatt Massey. Our editor is Noah Levinson. Jesuit formation provided by Eric Sundrup SJ. Adult supervision provided by Carrie Weber. Our logo is by Sean Tripoli. You can follow us on Twitter at Jesuitical Show and send us your questions, feedback, cocktail recipes, favorite coffee. <laughs> and tell us where you found God this week at Jesuitical at americamedia.org. Please tell your friends about us. And tell, yes, please do. We and are early on in this endeavor. Yeah. And yeah. We are. The, we live on iTunes and iTunes alone. <laughs> but we need those. We need those reviews. But the easiest way that your friend is going to find this podcast is if you tell them about it. Yep. 
Yeah. So please do. So do please, us that favor. Yeah. Because we want to be friends with your friend too. Yeah. Yeah.